بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله uh, We have another lesson tonight of the tafsir of the short surahs of the Quran Kuz and tonight, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, we will be discussing one of the greatest surahs of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Ikhlas, Surah Al-Ikhlas, um, also known as the Surah of Sincerity. Um, the Surah, alhamdulillah, has many names, Al-Asas, the Foundation, Al-Tawheed, um, the Surah of Tawheed, um, and so forth. Tayyib, um, so we move on immediately, bi-idhnillah, to the, the tafsir of the Surah for the Zerah to discuss, as the Surah has a lot of virtues. It has a lot of um, uh, fada'il, right, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave to the surah, as we will see with Allah ta'ala. First and foremost, um, the reason uh, for the revelation of the surah, a hadith from Imam Ahmad, rahimahullah, he records that Ubay bin Ka'b, radiyallahu anhu, said that the mushrikun, they came to the, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and they said to him, Ya Muhammad, Tell us about the lineage of your Lord. And so Allah revealed, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٍ طيب, in another narration from Ibn Abbas, عَنْهُمَا, there was a Jewish man who said, Describe your Lord for us. صِفْ لَنَا رَبُّكَ uh, صِفْ لَنَا رَبَّكَ uh, Describe your Lord to us. Um, and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the surah as a description of himself. This is, who is Allah? Describe Allah to us. What's Allah's lineage? Where does he come from? There's no lineage. He has, does not beget, nor was he was not born, nor does he have any offspring. Right? There's no lineage to speak about. It's not like people. And so forth. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded to, to these questions that they came, or these challenges that they came to the Prophet with, and Allah revealed the surah. In other narrations, it says that when the Jews would say that Uzair is the son of Allah and the Christians would say that Isa is the son of Allah and the various groups would say these things about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the mushrikun would say that the angels are the daughters of Allah. Allah then revealed the surah saying, Qul huwa Allahu ahad, Allahu samad. Say he Allah is one, he is a samad. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. He was not, he does not beget nor was he begotten, nor was he given birth to. Um, as for the virtues of the surah, as we said, there's a number of virtues that we will go through bi-idhnillah. Number one is, a hadith tells us that this is a characteristic of Ar-Rahman. It's a sifa, it's a description of who? Of Ar-Rahman. The hadith says that Rasulullah he sent a man in charge of a small military campaign. And this man, when he recited the Qur'an, whilst leading his companions in salah, he would always end with قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَد Okay, he would always end with the surah قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَد So when they came back, يعني, these people that went with him, the companions, they said to the Prophet wasallam that he always ends off. Right, it could be that every single rak'ah, he would read something, then end off with قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَد Okay, so they obviously found this to be something, you know, strange or something that they were not accustomed to. 
And so they said to the Prophet وسلم, upon returning that this is what this man used to do. And so the Prophet وسلم, said, ask him, why did he do that? And so they asked him and he said, because it is a description of the most merciful. This surah is a description. It describes to me my Rabb. It describes to me who Ar-Rahman is. Who is he? And the surah tells us exactly who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. This is why I recited the surah because to me it is a description of Ar-Rahman. And I love to recite the surah. I love to recite this, this description of Ar-Rahman. Upon hearing this, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then said, Akhbiruhu anna Allah ta'ala yuhibbuhu. Inform him that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves him. Yani because he loves the surah and because he loves to recite the surah which is a description of his Rabb, this is a sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves him in return as well. Subhanallah, that hadith is in Bukhari. So from this hadith we learn that the love of this surah can definitely necessitate the love of Allah. A person who truly loves the surah, then this is a sign that he loves Allah, yes, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will love him as well. As is the case with the Sahabi. That he loved the surah because to him it was a description of his Rabb, of Ar-Rahman. And he loved to read it. To read it. And therefore the Prophet said to him, inform him. Said to the people, inform him that Allah loves him as well. Subhanallah. Likewise, Ibn Mas'ud, the famous Sahabi, he said, whoever loves the Qur'an, then he loves Allah. Whoever loves the Qur'an, he loves Allah. Because this is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is a characteristic of Allah itself, the Qur'an. Whoever loves the kalam of Allah, the teachings of Allah, the revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then this is a sign that he loves Allah. And a part of this, is a major part of this is Surah Al-Ikhlas. Whoever loves the surah, then it is a sign that he loves Allah and bi'ithnillah it will lead to Allah loving him as well. Um, and of course this applies to a person who understands the surah. Not just the person who recites it in salah because it's easy and because it's a custom, it's a norm for him. Every salah he reads, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Qul wallahu ahad, Allahu samad, lam yalid, wa lam yulad, wa lam yakullahu kufun ahad, Allahu akbar. Right? It's not like that. That's not, that's not what's meant here. The Sahabi understood the surah. He understood it to be a, 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 a description of ar-Rahman. And therefore he loved it. He knew what he was reciting when he said, Qul wallahu ahad, Allahu samad, and so forth. That's a very important point to keep in mind. So that's benefit number one. Benefit number two is, or virtue number one of the surah, should I say. Virtue number two is, the love of this surah necessitates the entrance into paradise as well. Hadith says from Anas, radiallahu anhu, that one of the Ansar, he used to lead the, the Ansaris in Salah in the Quba Masjid. The famous Masjid in Al-Madina, those who have been to Al-Madina will definitely know Masjid Al-Quba, where the first Masjid built in Al-Madina. And it was his habit to recite Qul Allahu Ahad whenever he wanted to recite something in Salah. Okay? When he finished that surah, he would then recite another one with it. He followed the same procedure in each rak'ah. What does this mean? Every single rak'ah, he would read the Fatiha, of course, Walad Dalin Amin, and then Qul Allahu Ahad, Allahu Samad, Lam Yalid, Walam Yulad, Walam Yakullahu Kufun Ahad, then recite something else of the Quran. The second rak'ah, the same, the Fatiha, Qul Allahu Ahad first. And then, another surah of the Qur'an. Again, this was not the norm. The Sahaba obviously found this to be something strange. And so what did they do? They discussed this with him and said, you recite the surah 
and do not consider it sufficient and then you recite another? So would you recite it alone or leave it and recite some other? Or recite some other? You know, if you read Qulullahu Ahad by itself, sufficient. You don't have to read another surah after that. Or instead of reading it the whole time and reading something else, read something else. You don't have to read Qulullahu Ahad in every rak'ah. This is what they were basically trying to say to him and reason with him with. Right? So he said, I will never leave it. And if you want me to be your imam on this condition, then it's okay. Otherwise, I will leave you. Yani, if you're going to force me you know, to do what you want me to do, then خلاص, I, will, I will step down as the imam. But I'm telling you, I'm not going to leave you. Well, I'm not going to leave the surah, should I say. So if you allow me to do this, then I will be the imam. If not, then I will, I will leave you and somebody else can lead the salah. But these Sahaba, the Ansaris, they knew that he was the best amongst them. And that they did not want or prefer anyone else to lead them in the salah. So, the Prophet ﷺ went to them as the norm, as usual, and they informed him about this. About what has happened, what, about the discussion and what this man was doing and so forth. So the Prophet ﷺ addressed him and said, Yo, oh so-and-so, oh fulan, what stops you from doing what your companions ask you to do? Remember the request, read something else. You don't have to read another surah with it and so forth. Why do you read this surah particularly in every single rak'ah? The man replied and said, because I love the surah. That's it. That's it. Purely because I love the surah. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, حُبُّكَ إِيَّاهَا أَدْخَلَكَ الْجَنَّةِ Your love for the surah will cause you to enter jannah. Your love for the surah will cause you to enter jannah. Subhanallah. So a person who understands the surah, comprehends the surah, contemplates the surah, and he genuinely loves the surah, he will be just like the Sahabi. That because of that love for the surah, that will be a cause for him to enter paradise. Number three, the recitation of the surah is also a protection against evil and also a shifa, a type of shifa. And this comes in the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, where she said that the Prophet sallallahu whenever he went to bed, he would cup his hands together blow into them and recite into them قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ and قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ The three quls. Then he would, he, he would wipe as much of his body as he could with his hands, starting with his head and face and the front of his body and then of course go to as far as his hands can reach to the back and so forth. He would do this three times. Three times. So, read, cup his hands, read the three quls, blow in his hands, wipe over his entire body, do this every night three times um, before going to sleep. Hadith is in Bukhari. That's a sunnah that we should now implement before we sleep. Right? What does this serve? What does this sunnah serve? It serves, number one, as a protection. Throughout the night, bi'idnillah, you are protected. Via, because of these surahs. And secondly, some scholars mention it serves as a shifa. Because treating yourself with the Quran is what we call ruqya. It's, it's from the sunnah. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa used to treat himself with the quls as well. So if a person is ill, he does this as a... Seeking shifa, and secondly, he does this also seeking protection from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout the night, from any evil, from jinn and so forth, shayateen and so forth. Another hadith from Uqbah ibn Amir radiallahu anhu, he said that I met, I met the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he said to me, Oh Uqbah, 
Shall I not teach you some surahs the like of which have not been revealed in the Torah, nor the Zabur, nor the Injil, and not even in the Quran? And he said, there is no night comes, but you should not recite. Yani meaning every single night that comes, you should recite. قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ And Uqba said, so every night I would recite them. It became my duty to recite them because the, the Messenger of Allah had commanded me to do so. Yani, again, before you go and sleep, every single night you have to recite these three surahs. This is what he commanded Uqba with. And what did he say about them? The likes of these three surahs have not been revealed, not in the Torah, the Injil, or the Zabur, and not even in the Quran. Yani, there's nothing equal to these surahs, the three, the three quls. That's how powerful they are. Recite it every night, and the hadith of Aisha tells us exactly how to do that by blowing in your hands three times, wiping over your body three times, and so forth. Alhamdulillah. Number four is a house in Jannah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Whoever recites Qulhu Allahu Ahad ten times, Allah will build for him a house in paradise. And so Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, he said, Then we will increase our recitation of it. And if you're saying this, we read it 10 times, we get the house in Jannah built for us, we will read it over and over and over, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 times. You know? So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allah is more kind and more generous. Allah is more kind and winning. If you do it more and more and more, Allah can give you more and more and more. The bounties of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows no limits. The fadl, the grace of Allah has no limits. Paradise is his right, as the hadith says, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam heard a man reciting Qulhu Allahu Ahad and said, it is his right. So the Sahaba said, oh Rasulullah, what is his right? And he said, paradise is his right, subhanallah. Through this recitation of the surah. And again, we believe it's recitation with tadabbur, tafakkur, and with fiqh, with faham, with understanding the surah, with reflection and with pondering and with understanding. This is... What's, sought, what's meant by recitation, not just lip service. This is what a very, very important um, point over here. Number six is Ta'dilu Thuluthul Quran, wherein Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in a number of ahadith that this surah is equal to a third of the Quran. Um, the hadith from Abu Sa'id al Khudri in Sahih al Bukhari says that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to his Sahaba, Could any one of you not recite one third of the Quran in one night? And they found this sa'ab, they found this difficult. And so they said, who among us could do that? O Messenger of Allah. And so he said, Allahul Wahidu Samad, Thuluthul Quran. Wa Allahul Ahadu Samad, Thuluthul Quran. That this surah, Allahul Ahad Samad, right? Thuluthul Quran is actually one third of the Quran. Subhanallah. In another hadith from Ahmad, which is reported also from Abu Sa'id al-Khudri anhu that the man said, O oh, Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I have a neighbor who makes salah at night and he only ever recites, Qul huwa Allahu ahad. As if he did not think much of this meaning. This man, yani, this man only reads Qul Allahu ahad. So the neighbor thought, what kind of qiyam is this? He only reads Qul huwa Allahu ahad. So it's not that great, you're not that virtuous, for example. This is, you know, he's not understanding or he feels that it's not that uh, 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 that virtuous. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, by the one in whose hand is my soul, swearing by Allah, it is, e- it is equal to one third of the Qur'an. إِنَّهَا تَعْدِلُ ثُلُثُ الْقُرْآنِ It is equal to one third of the Qur'an. 
An important point to understand here is what is meant by a third of the Qur'an. So there may be a misconception or a misunderstanding on this point. Tayyib, re- reciting the surah brings a reward. We say that is equal to reciting one third of the Qur'an. But it does not take place the... It does not take the place of reading one third of the Quran. So we have something called jaza and something called ijza. Jaza and ijza. Jaza refers to the reward. Right? A person who decides Kulu Allahu Ahad, we say he gets a reward of one third of the Quran. Right? That's jaza. It's thawab, it's ajr. Does this is this the same thing as ijza? What is ijza? Ijza means when you suffice something and it takes the place of something. So when we dis- what does this mean? When we read Allahu Ahad, we say you get the jaza, you get the reward of a third of the Quran, but it does not take the place take the place of a third of the Quran, nor is it sufficient against a third of the Quran. So this will become clear with an example. An example is if a person vows. Now, if in Islam, if we take a vow to do something, if we swear and we take a vow to do something then that thing becomes obligatory upon us. As long as it's something halal. So I swear I'm going to recite one third of the Qur'an. I swear by Allah I'm going to recite, take another, I take a vow, I'm going to recite one third of the Qur'an um, by the end of the week, for example. right? Now by the, before the end of the week, that is now compulsory upon me. I have to fulfill my vow. This is what uh, the Sharia teaches us. Right? So can I now come and say by the end of the week, I said, that's a third of the Qur'an. Does this count as a third of the Qur'an in that sense? The answer is no, it does not count. Right? So to read one third of the Qur'an, it is not sufficient for him to read because it is equivalent to one third of the Qur'an in reward, but not in terms of being sufficient or taking the place of reading one third of the Qur'an. Right? This is what needs to be understood. The same may be said of reciting it three times. If a person recites ahad three times, that does not mean that he does not have to recite Al-Fatiha even though he will be given the reward of reciting the whole Qur'an. Three thirds, of course, is makes a whole. So you recite ahad once, twice, thrice. A third, a third, a third. You get a full Qur'an's reward. Does this mean that if I make salah now and I recite ahad three times, I get the reward of reciting the whole Qur'an. So therefore, I don't have to recite the Fatiha because it's part of the whole Qur'an. So this is what we call ijza. It takes the place of the Fatiha. We say this doesn't apply in this case. Rather, you may get the reward of reciting the whole Qur'an because you recited a third of it in terms of reward three times. But this doesn't apply to um, ijza where it takes the place of the Fatiha and the rest of the Qur'an. Tayyip. Another example is we make salah in Masjid al-Haram. And the hadith tells us it's 100,000 times better than salah in any other masjid. Right? Okay. So now, if we made one salah in Masjid al-Haram, we believe we get the reward of 100,000 times of salah in any other masjid. Right? Ordinary masjid. Now, obviously not counting Masjid al-Nabawi and so forth. Which is a thousand times better. So, can a person say, look, I get the reward of 100,000 times salah now. So I'm not going to make 100,000 more salah because I'm going to skip 100,000 salah because that salah I made is 100,000 times better. At ijza, we say, no, this is only in terms of reward. It doesn't take the place of any other salah. And no person would say this. Likewise, 
No person should say that. Uh, the third of the Quran text, meaning I don't have to recite, uh, if I read it three times, I don't have to recite anything else. So this has to do with reward. As to what is sufficient, that is another matter altogether. Right? This doesn't take the place of anything else. The teachings of the rest of the Quran and so forth, it's only in terms of its reward. Why is it so powerful? Well, if we look at the Quran, we find that the Quran in general is categorized into three, um, into three different topics or three different uh, matters that it covers. Number one is one third of the Quran is for rulings, ahkam, the rulings of salah and zakah and hajj and fasting and hunting and um, qisas and this and that. Right? Different ahkam that we find in the, in the, in the Quran. One third of the Quran is for promises and warnings. Promises of what's going to happen. Come, Jahan, uh, come Jannah, Jahannam. Warnings about the Akhirah. Warnings about Jannah, Qiyamah and so forth. What happened to the people of the past and so forth. That's, those are all warnings. Right? The stories are all warnings. So that's that Quran deals with different issues like this across various surahs. And one third of the Quran is for Tawheed. For the divine names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who is Allah? Azizun Hakim, Sami'un Alim, Ayatul Kursi, Huwallahu Ladi, La ilaha illahu, Alimul Ghaibi wa Shahada, the end of Surah Hashr, and various other ayat, many other ayat. Allah speaks about Himself, describes Himself, His names, Asmaul Husna, and His perfect attributes. He, he, he teaches us about Himself in the Quran. Ayat of Tawheed, worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, and so forth. This is one third of the Quran, right? So if we break it down into these three different sections, then this surah, Surah Al-Ikhlas, deals with this last one, of course, which is the divine names and attributes of Allah. It deals with Tawheed. It deals only with Tawheed. It doesn't contain any fake rulings. There's no fake rulings in there. It doesn't talk about Salah, Zakah, and Hajj. There's no stories of the past. There's no warnings of the Akhirah. It only speaks about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. That is one third of, of the different subjects or the different general topics in the Quran. Right? And so this is why it, it can carry that type of reward. But ultimately it's because that the Prophet sallallahu informed us of that. And as we said, it's not ijza, meaning a third, a third, a third doesn't mean we don't need the rest. Right? So a person who recites the surah and studies the surah and understands the surah and, and so forth, alhamdulillah, does this mean he doesn't need the rest of the Qur'an? If he recites it three times and he, it equals a whole? No, it's only in terms of reward, right? But the rest of the Qur'an deals with the rest of, the, of those subjects. The ahkam, the warnings, the promises, the, the people of the past. Uh, Qiyamah and so forth all of those rulings comes from the rest of the Quran which we also are in need of so a person's knowledge would not be complete unless he looks at the, at the whole of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the one who stops at surah ikhlas he won't have knowledge of the rest that's why he only knows at least one third of the, of the Quran uh, Ibn Taymiyyah rahmahullah spoke about this and he said the people need the commands and prohibitions and stories that are in the Quran even though Tawheed is greater than that so even though the surah speaks about what's greatest, Tawheed, a person, a Muslim still needs all, all, all knowledge. Man needs to know what he is enjoined to do and what he is forbidden to do. He needs to know what's permissible, what's haram. He needs to know what is enjoined upon him and the stories and promises and rewards. These things are all important. 
These cannot be replaced by anything else. And Tawheed cannot be replaced by these. So each bit of knowledge is in its place. Each subject is in its place. Each um, benefit is in its place. The one doesn't substitute the other. Each one comes with its own benefits. Each one comes with its own fruits and so forth. The stories cannot take the place of the commands and prohibitions. And the commands and prohibitions cannot take the place of the stories. Rather, everything that was sent down by Allah is beneficial and people need it. Subhanallah. So yes, this surah may be equal to a third of the Quran. Does that mean that's sufficient for us? No, it's not sufficient for us. We need to study the rest of the Quran as well. We need to gain the rewards of the rest of the Quran as well. So let's say we recite the Qur'an three times. We get the reward of the whole Quran. Well, alhamdulillah. That's amazing. That's the, that's the benefit. Of, that's the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But does that mean we don't need to read the rest? We are we going to benefit from the ahkam? We need to read and understand. So we benefit from ahkam. We need to read the stories of the people of the past. So we, we learn from them, their mistakes, what they did of good and bad. We need to read about the warnings of the akhirah. So we have some fear of Allah. We prepare for the Akhirah. Read about Jannah. We strive for Jannah. If we're only going to focus on this, we won't get those benefits. If a person decides, ahad, he earns a reward equal to the reward of one third of the Quran, but that does not mean that the reward is of the same kind as that earned by reading the rest of the Quran. Rather, he may need the kind of reward that comes from reading the commands and prohibitions and stories. So, ahad, cannot take the place of that. This is Powerful words of Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah that, that requires us to ponder. He also said that the knowledge that is to be gained by reading the rest of the Qur'an cannot be gained by reciting the surah only. As we said, the rest of the Qur'an is full of virtue and full of knowledge that we need to delve into as well. Whoever reads the whole Qur'an is better than one who simply recites the surah three times in the sense that he earns different kinds of rewards. Different knowledge that he gets, different tadabbur, different things that he's reflecting over. It will have a different effect on his heart. Even though the one who recites Kulullah Ahad earns a reward equivalent to that reward, but it is of one type and does not include all the types that a person needs. Subhanallah. This is like a man who has 3,000 dinars and another who has food, clothing, accommodation and money equivalent to 3,000 dinars. Right, so you've got one man, he's got 3,000 and nothing else. Another man has got a full, he's got a range of, of wealth that's equal, equal to 3,000 dinars. Right, so he's got food, he's got a shelter, he's got a car, he's got clothing. All of this is equal to 3,000 dinars. Right, which one is better off? The latter has that which will benefit him in all his affairs, whereas the former needs what the latter has even though what he has is equivalent in value. But he still needs what the things that that man has, even though it's equal in, in, in reward or in value. Similarly, if he has the finest food, equivalent to 3,000 dinars in value, he still needs clothing and accommodation and weapons and tools that will ward off harm from him and the like, which cannot be done with food alone and so forth. Well, alhamdulillah, I think the point has been made. This only applies to reward and this does not suffice us from the rest of the Quran um, even if we recited it three times and we say we get the, the full reward of the Qur'an or reciting the whole Qur'an, the rest of the Qur'an also needs to be benefited from um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Uh, virtue number six, supplicating with it by Allah's names. 
So obviously through this surah we learn Allahu Ahad, Allahu Samad, Lam Yalid wa Lam Yulad, Wa Lam Yakullahu Kufuan Ahad. Allah describes himself as we said it's a characteristic, it's a description of Ar-Rahman, the surah. So we find that there was a man, he made dua calling upon Allah the way that Allah described himself in the surah. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa heard a man supplicating and he was saying, Allahumma in yas'aluka bi'anni ashhadu annaka anta Allah. La ilaha illa ant. This man said in his dua, Oh Allah, I am asking you by my testification, by me bearing witness that you are Allah. La ilaha illa ant. There is none worthy of worship except you. Al-Ahad, al-Samad, al-Ladhi lam yalid wa lam yulad. That whole part there, as you can see, is the, the, the rest of Surah Ikhlas. Al-Ahad, Al-Samad, Al-Ladhi Lam Yalid Wa Lam Yulad, Wa Lam Yakullahu Kufuan Ahad. You are Allah, there is none worthy of worship except you. Then he said, the one, Al-Samad, the one who does not beget, Lam Yalid, Wa Lam Yulad, no one was begotten. Wa Lam Yakullahu Kufuan Ahad, and there is none who is like him. So this man made a dua, calling upon Allah, and in this dua he basically incorporated this Basically the whole surah of Surah Al-Ikhlas or Surah Qul Allahu Ahad. So what did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say when he heard this man's dua? He said, by the one in whose hand is my soul, swearing by Allah, he has asked Allah by his greatest name, Ismullah Al-A'zam. The one which if he is called upon by it, he responds. And when he is asked by it, he gives. Yeah, salam. So we know that from many ahadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam described to us and said to us that Allah has... His greatest name. Allah has his ismul a'zam, his greatest name. And if you ask Allah by his greatest name, he will provide, he will give. And if you supplicate by him, to him by, by, by this greatest name, he will respond to your supplication. Right? And different ahadith actually mention different du'as that were made. So this is why the scholars differed over what is Allah's greatest name. And this can be referred back to in our, our course that we, that we covered previously. Uh, Asmaul Husna, where we spoke about Allah's beautiful names. In there, we discussed this matter, and to summarize, we basically said the scholars differed in over many different of opinion, many different opinions. The strongest opinions are number one is Allah's greatest name is Allah, and this is the strongest view, which is held by many scholars that the greatest name of Allah is Allah. Others said it is Al Hayyul Qayyum, like Ibn Al Qayyim, rahimahullah, Al Hayyul Qayyum. But if we look at this du'a. You will find that Al-Hayul Qayyim is not mentioned. Although it's mentioned in other du'as that the Prophet mentioned that this man called upon Allah by his greatest name and so forth. Um, but this doesn't mention Al-Hayul Qayyum. But Allah is mentioned in here. Allah is mentioned in all of the du'as that are when, this, 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 uh, when the Prophet said that this is Allah's greatest name. Um, and other scholars basically mentioned that it's any of Allah's powerful names that have broad, vast meanings like As-Samad, like Al-Ahad and like Al-Azim and Al-Kareem and so forth and Allah ultimately knows best the, the strongest view as I said is that Allah's greatest name is Allah however if we were to ask Allah using this formula mentioned in this hadith then definitely we would have asked Allah by his greatest name because the Prophet affirmed this dua for us so this is a very powerful way to make dua where we say Oh Allah, I ask you by bearing witness that you are Allah. La ilaha illa ant is none worthy of worship except you. Al-Ahadu Samad, Al-Ladhi Lam Yalid Wa Lam Yulad, Wa Lam Yakullahu Kufuan Ahad. That you are Al-Ahad, 
the one as-samad alladhi lam yalid wa lam yulad wa lam yakul lahu kufuwan ahad if we make dua with this formula bi'idhnillah our dua will be accepted as rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said so the last benefit or virtue of the surah is that we find that rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam himself often recited the surah in salah for example we know from the sunnah is to recite the surah in the sunnah salahs before fajr right before fajr the two rakat before fajr the hadith is it's better than this world and everything that it contains right the sunnah to recite in that uh, fajr sunnah of fajr is qul ya kafirun in the first rakat and secondly qul huwallahu ahad the same goes for the sunnah after maghrib the prayer after maghrib okay so this should have maybe been reworded somewhat the second rakah of the sunnah prayer before fajr yes and after maghrib and after maghrib is to read qul ya ayyuhal kafirun and then qul huwallahu ahad that is also the sunnah for the two rakah that we make after tawaf so after we make tawaf around the kaaba seven times the sunnah then is to pray two rakah of sunnah and in that sunnah is to read qul ya ayyuhal kafirun and qul huwallahu ahad and then also the last rakah of witr Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to read in the three rakat of witr Sabbih isma rabbika al-a'la First rakat Second rakat Qul ya kafirun And third rakat Qul huwa allahu ahad So this obviously shows us that there is some special virtue In the surah as well Those are the seven benefits And the seven virtues of the surah That we, that we put together for today's lesson Alhamdulillah That shows us that this short surah Is an extremely powerful surah Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alamin, which is actually equal to a third of the Qur'an um, and Allah knows best. So we move on to the commentary on the, the, the actual wording of the surah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts off the surah by saying Qul huwa Allahu ahad say O Prophet that he is Allah one and indivisible right that's obviously one and indivisible ahad he is one okay the word Qul whenever we see this in Arabic or in the Qur'an it means say it's an address which is directed to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam firstly but also to the ummah for all of us who this is what we say this is what we utter and what we believe what do we believe what do we utter if somebody asks you who is Allah then this is directly directed at us to say he is Allah who is one indivisible yani he's one and one alone Ibn Kathir rahimahullah commented on this and he said this means that he is the one the singular who has no peer no assistant no rival no equal and none comparable to him the word al-ahad cannot be used for anyone in affirmation except allah azza wa jal because he is perfect in all of his attributes and actions afan al-badr he explained this name and he said, or from what he explained on this name, um, that this name proves the oneness of Allah. This name proves the oneness of Allah, Al-Ahad, the one. In many ways, when we say Allah is one, what does that entail? It entails a number of things. Of them is number one, that he is one in his perfect attributes of grandeur, greatness and beauty. There is no being that is perfect in his attributes of greatness, grandeur, splendor, beauty, 
power except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he is one in this. He's ahad. He's only one in this. He is one in his essence. He has no comparison. Perfect in his that. In the way that he is. In his makeup. In his essence. Allah is one in this. Perfect. Completely perfect. With no comparisons. His attributes. He has no similarity. Allah has many attributes. Allah has many attributes. Right? The view of Ahlul Sunnah is not that we limit the number of attributes of Allah subhanahu wa to any number like 7 or 20 or 30 or 33 and so forth. Ahlul Sunnah wa Jama'ah, we believe Allah has many attributes. And all of those attributes are attributes of complete and utter and absolute perfection. Every single attribute is an attribute of perfection where there is no similarity, no comparison, no equal, no partner. His actions, his af'al, that which Allah does, they are perfect. He is alone in this. He is one and unique in this. He has no part, no equal in his actions. His uluhiyah, the fact that he is the only one worthy of worship, he is alone in this. There is nothing else that is worthy of worship except Allah. He has no partner in the various acts of worship like mahabba. Can we love anything the way we love Allah? The love of ubudiyah, the love of worship and servitude. The love of gratitude like we have unto Allah, there is no equal to Him. He is, nobody deserves that type of love except Him. The love of glorification, how we glorify Allah. None is deserving of this. None is, is, is actually receives that type of glorification the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does. And our humility, the way we lower ourselves unto Him. Nobody is deserving of this except Him. He's uluhiyya. He's rububiyya. He's alone in his, in his rububiyah that he is the only Lord. His Lordship. He is one. One creator. One provider of every single thing. One ultimate provider. Ultimate creator of every single thing. One Malik. Owner of every single thing. One King. One Mudabbir. One manager of all affairs. Controller of all affairs. It's Ahad. It's, it's Allah Azza wa alone. Completely perfect. In every single way, names, attributes, actions, his lordship, his worship, his essence, in every single way, Allah Azza is completely perfect and he's alone in this. Ahadun Ahad. Ahadun Ahad. This is why when the Sahaba were being tortured in Mecca, Bilal, Radullah Anhu, and many of the others, Khabbab, Ibn al Arat, and many other Sahaba, when they were being tortured, what was it that they used to utter? Bilal so famously used to say, Ahadun Ahad, Ahadun Ahad, Ahadun Ahad. That's all he used to say. The more they burnt him and branded him and punished him, put rocks on him, heavy rocks in the desert sun, they would put them out into the sun, bear top, topless onto the hot sun, would take a huge rock and put on top of them and torture them in, 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 in humane ways. And when these Qurayshis and, and oppressors would think they were about to give in, the only thing they would say is, Ahadun Ahad, Ahadun Ahad, Ahadun Ahad. And later on, Bilal would say, if I knew of anything else that would have annoyed them more, I would have maybe said it, but the one thing that annoyed them completely was this Ahadun Ahad. It's Allah alone, Allah alone, that's all. He's alone, He's the one that we worship, the one that's perfect, the one that we turn to, the one that we are seeking his pleasure and so forth. Subhanallah. So none can even comprehend this perfection. 
That's how perfect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is and unique. That in reality, none from creation can even comprehend how perfect it is, never mind we make comparisons with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is some of what the Sheikh said. We discussed this name in a lot more detail in the book and when we discussed Fiqh al-Asma'il husna the Fiqh of Allah's beautiful names, um, I can uh, go find those recordings on our website, bi'ibnillah, and you can just and see the, the, the in-detail the, uh, explanation that we did on Allah's name, Al-Ahad. Allahu Samad. Allah is As-Samad. Another one of his names is As-Samad. One of his greatest names is As-Samad. Ibn Kathir Rahimallah explains in his tafsir, Allah As-Samad from Ikrimah who reported that uh, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, the famous companion and great commentator of the Quran, said, this means the one who all of the creation depends upon for their needs and their requests. As-Samad. The one whom all of creation depend upon. For their needs and requests, that's what Asamad means. The one that every single um, created being depends upon. Another narration from Ibn Abbas, he said, in a lot more detail, he said, he is the master, as Sayyid. He is the Sayyid, he is the master who is perfect in his sovereignty. The one or the most noble who is perfect in his nobility. The most magnificent who is perfect in his magnificence. The most forbearing who is perfect in his forbearance. The all-knowing who is perfect in his knowledge. And the most wise who is perfect in his wisdom. He is the one who is perfect in all aspects of nobility and authority. He is Allah. Glory be unto him. These attributes are not befitting anyone other than him. He has no equal and nothing is like him. Glory be to Allah, the one, the irresistible. This is what uh, Ibn Abbas also had to say about this name, As-Samad. And this is what I was referring to when I said, um, when some of the scholars said that the best name of Allah is, are these type of names. These names that don't just have one meaning. They have various meanings. They have, they have all-encompassing meanings. Right? Comprehensive meanings. Like As-Samad. It, it's not just one meaning. Look at what Ibn Abbas is saying about Allah's name, uh, As-Samad. It's that master who is perfect in all of his ways, in his knowledge, in his forbearance, in his magnificence, in his nobility, in his authority. All of this is what's encompassed in this name, As-Samad. So these are the type of names that some scholars went and said, that's the best names of Allah. It's all of those names. Like Al-Azim and Al-Kabir and different types of names and so forth. Like As-Samad. Tayyip is one of Allah's most powerful names. Allahu Ahad, Allahu Samad. The perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in all ways. Not just in His oneness, in all of these glorified ways. Subhanallah. Shaykh Ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullah, he said, the one who is perfect in his attributes upon whom the entire creation depends upon. So he took, he actually mentioned this statement of Ibn Abbas. And he said if we were to try to summarize it in, a, in, a, in, in one line or so forth, it would mean that one who is perfect in his attributes, as we discussed, in his nobility, in his authority, in his power, in his, um, his greatness, in his, in his authority, in his forbearance, in his knowledge, he is perfect in and of himself, meaning he does not need anything else. He is completely perfect by himself, Al-Ahad, and upon whom all are dependent on. That the entire creation is dependent on him. So this is who As-Samad is. The perfect one 
that everything is in need of and he's not in need of anything. That's Asamad. So that's why a good translation I believe for Asamad would be say he Allah is one. Allahu Samad means he is Allah or Allah is Asamad meaning the independent master. The independent master meaning he's independent yani meaning he doesn't need anybody else. Master meaning everything is in need of him, everything is a slave unto him and so forth. And this is a, a decent translation of Asamad and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. Then Allah says he has never had offspring nor was he born. A famous translation is he, he does not beget nor was he begotten. This translator says he has never had offspring nor was he born. It's the same thing obviously. He has never had offspring nor was he born. Sheikh Ibn Thaymin says that is because he has no mathil. He has no comparison, no part, no equal. Nothing can be uh, compared to him. Mathil, nothing can be equated to him. There is no example like him. So therefore, how can he have a son or a child if, if, if he's unique? If there's nothing like him, it's impossible for him to have offspring because a child is a part of his parent. A child is a part of his father, his mother, right? And Rasulullah has said this in a hadith about Fatima, radiallahu anha, his daughter, he said about her, mink, minni. She is a part of me. In Bukhari, she is a part of me. So likewise, every child is a part of his parent. In that sense, how can something created be a part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How can anything be a part of Allah when Allah is perfect? When Allah is perfect and then we get creation which is imperfect. This is already uh, logically impossible. Also the reasons why people have children. What is the, the point of having a child, offspring? Number one, it could either be for love, compassion, companionship, or some people have children for assistance. Right? Especially maybe back in the day it's known people who had a, a farm, they need offspring so the farm people can, so their children can take over the farm, for example. Help them out in the business, for example. Or to continue one's lineage. You don't want your name to stop, you don't want your lineage to stop, you want your lineage to continue. And so for these are the basic reasons why people have children or the, the, the benefit that a child brings to their parent and so forth. Yet, is Allah in need of any of this? Allah is not in need of anything. He's not in need of companionship. He's not in need of lineage to continue. He's not in need of any help. He's not in need of anything. Subhanallah. So how, what, what's the point of him having a son? Or a child or a daughter? It's not befitting for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have this. So when we think of Allah, we don't think of a created being. We think of something far more supreme. He is as the way he described himself. He is the way that the hadith and Rasulullah described him with complete perfection and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. Lam yalid also is in response to three misguided groups. And Allah does not beget, يعني, he has no offspring. He has never had offspring and he will never have offspring. This is also a refutation upon whom? We all know it's a refutation on the Christians who said that Jesus is the son of Allah. Isa is the son of Allah. This is well known. This is a refutation upon them for saying this. The Jews said, وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ عُزَيْرُنِ بَنُوا اللَّهِ وَقَالَتِ النَّصَارَ الْمَسِيحُ بَنُوا اللَّهِ Allah tells us in the Quran that the Jews said, Uzair is the son of Allah and the Masih 
was the Nasara, should I say, the Nasara, they said that Al-Masih ibn Allah, that the Messiah, or meaning Jesus, or meaning Isa alayhi salam, is the son of Allah. This is what they used to say, and this is what they still believe to this day. And also Allah speaks about the Mushrikun who said that the angels are the daughters of Allah. The angels are the daughters of Allah. This ayah, Lam Yalid, is a refutation upon all of them. Allah has no offspring, no sons, no daughters. It's not befitting for him. It's not becoming upon him. And it's impossible. Nothing is impossible for Allah, but this is something that is uh, beyond Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning that he will never ever do as he is telling us. He can create whatever he wants to create, but will Allah create a part of him and another part of him? No, we know this. This is impossible. Ahad is one. He's unique. He's alone. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. He will never have, nor did he have any offspring. So anybody who thinks that he could have had, had, has disbelieved in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has not understood who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Has not understood who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Wa lam yulad, nor was he given birth to. Nor was he born. And of course, how could he have been given birth to? How could he have been born? He is al-awwal. Allah tells us in other ayat, he is al-awwal. The first. Nothing came before him. In a, in, in a dua, al-ma'thur, yani meaning a dua that the Prophet used to make, he used to say, Oh Allah, anta al-awwal. You are the first. فَلَيْسَ قَبْلَكَ شَيْءٍ And there's nothing that was before you. This is who Allah is. So how can he have been given birth to if he is the first? He exists since forever, meaning there was no beginning for Allah. He's always been there. This is again why he's unique, alone. He's one, Al-Hay, perfect life. One of his names is Al-Hay. He has the attribute of life, perfect life. Not like our life, which is imperfect. Our life has a beginning point, a start, and it has an end point where we die. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has always been there living. Been there living. Before he created this universe, he's been there. He's always been there. This is unique unto him alone. He's al-awwal, he's the first. Nothing was there and yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was there. Then he created the malaik. Then he created the pen and accepted the pen to write. And then he created various things. Right? In the Quran, Surah Harid, Allah says, verse number three, He is the first and the last, the most high and the most near. And he has perfect knowledge of all things. This is who Allah is. So therefore, how could he have been given birth to? That makes no logical sense as well. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the final ayah, وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ Notice it's a kaf and not a qaf. A common um, pronunciation mistake is people say, وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ with a qaf. وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ It's all kafs over there. Um, which means there is none comparable to him. There is nothing like unto him. There is no equivalent to him. This is similar to many ayat. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, for example, in Surah Shura, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ There is nothing like him. There is nothing like him. Also in Surah Maryam, Allah says, هَلْ تَعْلَمُ لَهُ سَمِيَّةٍ Do you know of any example like him? Any equivalent like him? And of course the answer is no. Ibn Kathir, rahimullah, explains and he says, this is like the ayah in Surah Al-An'am, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, بَدِيعُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ أَنَّا يَكُونُ لَهُ وَلَدْ وَلَمْ تَكُنْ لَهُ صَاحِبَةً He is the originator of the heavens and the earth. How could he have children when he has no mate? He has no partner. He has no wife or partner or spouse. 
He created all things. And he has perfect knowledge of everything. Subhanallah. Meaning, Allah owns everything. And he created everything. So how can he have a peer among his creatures who can be equal to him? Or a relative who can resemble him? Glorified, exalted, and far removed is Allah from such a thing. Subhanallah. It doesn't make sense. Allah doesn't have a spouse. He created everything. He be, everything belongs to him. He's the originator of the heavens and the earth. Before it existed, he's the one who originated. He brought it into existence. Now, how can he have something that's equal to him? Or a part of him, like a son? Or something that resembles him? Na'udhu billah, this makes no sense. In other ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَقَالُوا اتَّخَذَ الرَّحْمَنُ وَلَدًا Subhanallah. And they said that Ar-Rahman, he has offspring. He has offspring. لَقَدْ جِئْتُمْ شَيْئًا إِدَّا Allah then says, Subhanallah, you have certainly made an outrageous claim. This claim that they made, where they said that Allah took a son, is an outrageous claim. It's a, it's a it's not something minor. It's not something simple. And Allah then describes it further by saying, "Takadu al-samawat yatafattarna minhu wa tanshakul ardu wa takhiru al-jibal hadda andaul al-rahman walada." Allah then says that outrageous claim. By which the heavens are about to burst. That's how serious it is. The earth to split apart. And the mountains to crumble to pieces. In protest of attributing children to the most compassionate. To Ar-Rahman. Subhanallah. That's how serious that statement is. Just to say Allah took a son like the Jews said. The Christians said. The Mushrikun said that he took daughters. That alone Allah says is such, such an outrageous claim. Which will cause yani the heavens are about to burst. The earth to split apart. Earth's about to split apart. The mountains are about to crumble to pieces. All because of that statement. In protest of that statement which is to say Allah took a son or a child or offspring. And then Allah says, وَمَا يَنْبَغِي Does not befit the majesty of the most compassionate to have children. It's, it's, Allah is far above this. It's not, he's not one of us. He's not like us who needs children, who, who, who long for children. Allah is unique and special and far above that. In kullu man fis samawati wal ardu illa atir rahmani abada. Laqad ahsahum ma'addahum adda. Wa kulluhum atihi yawmal qiyamati farda. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, There is none in the heavens or the earth who will not return to the most compassionate in full submission. Subhan, every single person will come unto him completely submitted. Indeed, he fully knows them and has counted them precisely. Nothing escapes him, his perfect knowledge. And each of them will return to him on the day of judgment, farda alone, by themselves. By themselves. Subhanallah. And that's where they, that is where they will have to face Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Looking at how serious the statement is. Can somebody still say that a Jew or Christian can, is, is, is not a kafir? Like some people have claimed. Some people have claimed that they are not kuffar. They are kitab and they this and that and they are not kuffar. They are not all kuffar. Any person who says that Allah has a son... This is how outrageous the claim is. That person has committed kufr with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. لَقَدَ كَفَرَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَالْمَسِيحُ الْمَرْيَمُ 
And Allah says that disbelieved those who say that Allah is Al-Masih Ibn Maryam. And those who say Allah is the third of three. Thalith of Thalatha. And many, many other ayat can be obviously proven to prove this point. Wallahu al-Musta'an. Likewise, it is completely haram for a Muslim to tolerate these type of beliefs. What does that statement mean? Does that mean that we force people to believe what we believe and say you must believe? Of course we give da'wah, we invite people to this perfect religion and this perfect aqidah of monotheism, of tawheedullah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But whoever accepts is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and people are free to follow what they want to follow. That doesn't mean that we accept, meaning that we agree with it, we do not agree with it. We respect their decision, but are we happy with it? We are not happy with it. Do we love what they believe? We completely hate what they believe and we are allowed to hate them for the sake of Allah if they continuously or they refuse to accept the truth. And for this reason, when they celebrate their, their days of religious uh, beliefs that they have, like Christmas, the birth of Jesus, for example, when they believe that he was now born on this day, and he's the son of Allah. Look at how serious this is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is this okay to say to then tell, tell people, have a joyous day, Merry Christmas, and so forth? Na'udhu billah, this is a major sin. Because it's like we are saying to them, enjoy your celebrations, your, your day that you believe Christ was born and that he's the son of Allah. It's as if we are, we are agreeing with them, or as if we are saying to them, it's okay what you believe. Subhanallah, so... It should be something that is definitely avoided and, and these ayat are very clear on this. And we look at another hadith which will also make it even clearer in Sahih Bukhari. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said لا أحد أصبر على أذى سمعه من الله There is no one who is more patient with something harmful that he hears than Allah. No one has more patience upon some harmful things that, that, that comes to him, that people are saying about him, than Allah. يَجْعَلُنَ لَهُ وَلَدًا وَهُوَ يَرْزُقُهُمْ وَيُعَافِيهِمْ They attribute a son to him while it is he who gives them sustenance and cures them. Subhanallah. Meaning, Allah provides for these people. He cures them when they are sick. He still takes care of them. He still is, you know, playing a role, a major role in their life. They are still experiencing his mercies and his rizq and all of his bounties or types of his bounties. Yet, they say harmful things about Allah, insulting things about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, things that are completely not befitting unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yet Allah has sabr. He has sabr. And no one is more patient upon harmful speech than Allah azza wa jal. Subhanallah. In another hadith, Allah azza wa jal himself said, in hadith Qudsi, the son of Adam denies me and he has no right to do so. And he abuses me and he has no right to do so. In his reference to his denial of me, it is his saying, how does he deny me? It is when he says, Allah will not or never recreate me like he created me before. Many of them de denied the resurrection. But the recreation of him is easier than his original creation. If Allah can create you out of nothing, why can he not bring you back to life? As for his cursing me, it is his saying, Allah has taken a son. Look what Allah is saying in this hadith Qudsi. That is how you, it's as if you are cursing Allah. Now we know we can never harm Allah and the kuffar do not harm Allah SWT in any way as in they do not um, take away from his greatness or his majesty or anything for that matter. But this is an insulting statement to make. Yet, what does Allah say? I am the one self-sufficient master. Al-Ahad, Al-Samad. I do not give birth nor was I born. Lam yalid wa lam alid wa lam ulad. 
وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوَنْ أَحَدْ And there is none comparable to me. Subhanallah. So those are insulting statements to make that we as Muslims, we hate those statements. We hate it completely. goes against our core belief system that we hear that Allah has a son, that Allah is a third of three, um, and so forth. So we do not condone those type of um, beliefs, nor do we wish people happiness on those for, for those type of beliefs, right? Yes, people are free to believe what they want. We treat people with respect. We treat people with kindness and so forth. But that doesn't mean that we have to condone what they believe and what they say. And Allah ultimately knows best. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us and to guide us and to show us the truth as it is. And to show us misguidance as it is and to keep us far away from that. And to grant us to be of those who follow the truth. Amin Rabbil Alameen. We ask him that he grants us the true understanding of the surah and who makes us of his true slaves is muwahidun and who recite the surah with understanding who love the surah such that the surah leads to his love and to his paradise amin ya rabbal alamin wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik until next week bi'idhnillah we will discuss suratul falaq inshallah ta'ala assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh